Hi, welcome to NDE TV. I'm Peggy Robinson. Today's guest is Janice Callahan, and she is going to tell us about her near-death experience. And I'm hoping that somehow we can also get this out there to a certain audience. I think we'll find out who. You know who I'm talking about, Janice? I think I do. <laughs> Hi, Peggy. Thank you so much for having me here today. You're welcome. Because you fit an audience that needs this more than anybody, I think. Do because this was um, because of the drug background. Yes, yes, my uh, death experience was drug related. In fact, um, I had struggled for 20 years off and on with addiction issues. And I experienced long periods of what uh, fellowships call clean time. I experienced long periods of clean time, but then would somehow kind of get pulled back in and, and begin using, you know, and it would just be at first a little bit here and there, but then it would, would kind of accelerate. And my death experience happened at a point of time where it was accelerated. And of course, I think a lot of people who struggle with addiction um, are also in the back of their head, having an inner conflict of what does God hate me? Does God hate me? Is this, is this, I would often think things like this. Is this the time that I use that gets me banished to hell? That's what I would think. Um, I would also do a lot of inner, like I would make these promises that I, I'm going to get clean after this one. I'm going to get clean after this one. I'm going to get clean after, after this event, after this happens, once this is in good standing. And, and keep in mind, all this is happening where I am a, seemingly normal member, functioning member of society, working every day, taking care of children, um, showing up to family events. I didn't, I didn't steal money for, for my habit. I didn't have to. Um, it wasn't that I wouldn't have, it just never took me there. So yeah, it's, and I know that since, uh, the, last two and a half years, um, I've kind of been following and statistics are raising that are rising more drug related deaths every single day because of what's being used and put out on the streets. So yeah, I definitely want to share this message and pray that the right ears hear it. I used to be a drug counselor. So I see things only from the other side of the table, you know, and even though I counseled, you know, people with those addictions, I didn't experience it. And that put up a wall between us because they were like, well, you don't know, you don't know. You should, we should only have counselors that know what it's like. And I'm like, counselors that know what it's like can't do this work. Here, being around this, hearing about it, they would start using it again. So. Wow, I didn't know that about you. It's such important work. I, I, what I have learned since this experience is that the father also understood, yes, um, that there was an understanding that I had trauma and that I had wounds inside me. And through this process, all of those layers had to be healed. And for me, um, there was healing going on. There was, I was, I was taken down a journey where I, I began to remember the things that I loved doing as a small child and started doing those again. So it was a healing. And then also it wasn't like the, um, the habits that are involved that are, 
that are involved when we're using, they weren't just jerked out of me. It was like a very graceful, very gentle rehabilitation process through the Holy Spirit. Those things as a child, you mean like things you could be creative and do? Um, yes, writing poetry, painting, spending time in nature, all of the things that um, a little country girl would like doing. <laughs> Finding a different stress reliever other than yes. drugs. Yes, yes, including, um, you know, after my experience, I actually started reading the Bible every day. That's been profound, and I've received so many blessings supernaturally through it. Okay. You want to lead us up to the day this all happened? Yeah, definitely. So um, this particular evening, um, I went over to a friend's house and uh, we were in a romantic relationship. Um, I went over there to, to use, you know, to party. And um, I knew when I got there that I was already pretty anxious and um, I had been in a bad headspace. Um, had been thinking a lot about suicide. I was tired of living this life. I just wanted to, I wanted to be good. I wanted to feel good, you know, um, but, but I didn't know how. And so this particular night I go over to his house and as soon as I get there, he starts telling me that I need to settle down. I'm, I'm too anxious. Um, but I still go ahead and, you know, begin using, and I took a couple of hits and, uh, the drug that we were using is called methamphetamines. It's a very, very addictive, very dangerous drug. And I had been using this drug off and on for, like I said, yeah, about 20 years. And, um, it was nothing new for me. Um, I did use the drug the same way I had always used the drug. So it was the same as it always, you know, had always been. Um, but for some reason, this particular evening, it just, I wasn't feeling right. Um, and the person that I was with said, you know, I don't think you need any more of that. Um, I had only taken a couple of hits, like I said. And, um, and so he said, you know, I think what you need is some of this and that's, uh, marijuana pot. And, uh, and, and I was like, I don't like that. I don't, I don't want anything to do with it. And he was like, you need to calm down. You are really over -amping. And I was like, I can't be over -amping. I haven't used all day until I got here. And so, um, so needless to say, he, um, he gave me a hit. He blew it directly into my mouth and I started coughing. He did blow a second hit that was like a, not a, a lot, but just a little bit, but still something happened. And I began to as like choke, asphyxiate, um, felt like I was being strangled from the inside. I, I felt my airway closing so quickly and so rapidly. Um, I was just struggling to breathe at that point. Um, I was coughing, of course. And I think that I, I, I think I could see a little bit of concern in his face. So that made me even more panicked. Um, but I could feel like my airway was, was just all but almost completely closed. I went over to the sink. I tried to get a drink of water. That was a really bad idea because then the water was, um, 
I couldn't get the water down and it was choking on that as well. And he helped me over to his couch. And <clears throat> I actually remember at this point, um, I could talk just a little bit in a whisper and I'm saying, pray for me, pray for me, please, please. And um, what was happening inside of my body, if I could try to describe this in layman's terms, I'm not a doctor, um, but I wish I could like explain. It felt like the feeling of panic and fear and terror combined with regretting that I had done that truly regretting what was happening, the awareness that I'm dying. I, my body felt like it was, um, every organ in my body, I became very, very uh, alert and aware of, um, while struggling to breathe. I remember he put the footrest up so that my feet were somewhat elevated. I, I'm crying out to God and I'm saying, please, God, no, 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 no. And really, I think this is probably um, something a lot of people who've struggled with it should have been through before. We, we kind of, and I know I like, we kind of have been in that situation before we kind of push the envelope. And I think in the moments when we're using, maybe getting high seems more important and relief from the emotional pain or in my case I was I was just I felt very victimized by things that were happening in my life and I was I was an emotional person in a way I mean just my whole life um, I tend to I tended to react extremely emotionally and take things very very personally and internally and and so um, you know, I don't think that's something that's new. I think probably a lot of people will, will recall a situation where they may have gotten to that point. Uh, this is where I knew, I, I remember I was not in control of my body at this point. Um, I remember just having this thought, well, like I couldn't make my heart beat. I couldn't make my lungs expand and take in air. And it was this sensation of, of drifting away from the earthly body that you see, um, that something was, I was just really drifting away. And I remember feeling like I was in the corner of his room, in his living room, um, drifting away. And I remember holding on to his hand, thinking that would help me stay alive, um, and all of these things are happening so quickly, Peggy. Um, I remember at that point, there's also a sensation that the life is really draining from my body. That the best way for me to describe it is, okay, so the life, the life is draining from my body or the blood's draining out of my body is, is kind of how I would describe it, down to my toes. And at that point, I remember like looking at my chest, wanting to see my heart beat, but it did only be one more time, very, very hard. And, and it was from that point felt like my body was dead, but my brain was still alive for a moment. And 
in that moment, I'm praying, I'm praying to God, please, please, please don't let me die. Please don't let me die. Please don't let me die. Please let me stay here. And I'm thinking of my children and that I want to remain here. I want to be present for my babies. And by that, I mean, my children were at the time, one was four, one was 16 and one was 19. And so that was the last conscious thought that I had here in the earth realm. The next thing I know, my eyes just close and I open my eyes and I am in this atmosphere, this place, this atmosphere. It's, it's like a room without corners. It's beautiful. This color of like lavender and opal and it's shimmering and there's three beings over here on my left and um, I didn't ask them who they were. It was like, I already knew that they were angels and they're beautiful, but yet I could see through them. Um, I'm looking at them and it's as though um, I felt masculine energy and then feminine energy from both. Um, but I'm not sure I could, there was no facial features or anything like that, like we have, but there was a head, neck, torso, arms, hands, legs, feet. Um, but again, I could see completely through them. And one extended his hand to me and offered for me to come with him. And I was like, no, no, no. And my first thought was actually just when I, when I see this environment and I open my eyes is thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. And in front of me is this essence of love, pure, divine love. And it's huge um, and powerful, so much power. This is unlike anything I've ever could ever even describe properly, quite frankly. And I do my best, but it, it's love and it's just permeating me. It's going into every cell of my body and, and it's so divine and it's everything. I know in that moment that I'm with the Father. I have no doubt about who this is in front of me, although I cannot see him with my natural eyes. In the background, again, that, that room that I'm in, it's, it's, it's completely in sync with him. And it seems to ebb and flow like with, with his, his movement. And I'm saying, please, please let me go back. Let me take care of my baby. I'll be better. I'll, I'll, I'll live the right way. I'll be who I'm supposed to be. I'm so sorry. And, uh, so I'm me. My personality is still very similar, very dramatic. And his presence is so calm. And knowing, I felt so known and so loved and so special. Like I actually mattered. I mean, like I actually mattered to the father. 
Yeah, I mean, when we're in the presence of God and angels in heaven, I mean, how else would we feel, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so true. And, you know, I remember before this, if I'm being honest, I remember one time, like, you know, one time I was just kind of thinking, like, does he even know my name? Does he even care about me and what I'm going through? Because um, I had been to church and, and things like that. And, and kind of off and on, I had kind of went through like a, I would say a spiritual pilgrimage um, back in 2014 to 26, no, no, 2010 to 2012, actually, um, one of the periods of time when I had gotten clean, I began going to these different churches and, and really trying to find like, where's the message that, that I feel like is real and true and just seeking. There was that, that part of me that was always seeking, you know, and, um, that's stories for another day, but I've pretty much visited all of the denominations in the area where I live. And, and more than once, you know, visited them and got to know the, the doctrine that each shared and things like that. And, and really was always just searching for that inner peace, you know. So back to the experience. Um, I felt totally known, but I didn't feel condemnation. I felt so understood. And in this, in this environment, we don't have to use verbal language. Everything is just, as soon as we think a thought, it's known. How incredible. Um, so the next thing I know, we're in a second environment and it's outdoors. And we're up on some kind of platform, the father and I, and, and I look out and there's millions of people and they're looking at me and I'm looking at them and they're just standing there waiting. And I lean over to him and I say, what do I do? And he says, love them. So, okay. Okay. I'm thinking I can do that. And the next thing I say is, what do I say? And he says the truth. Okay, I can do that. And, <laughs> and then the next thing I say is, what do I change? He says, don't change anything. And the final question I asked in that moment was, I said, okay, okay but where am I going to learn everything? Because I mean, they're waiting, you know, and, and he says, it's already inside of you. It's already inside of you. And immediately, and, and, and just to kind of stay there in that space, I just want to kind of describe what I'm seeing. So it's daylight. Um, it's a nice day outside. I see millions of people and they're standing there shoulder to shoulder just squeezed in there. Like, I mean, there's no room to move at all. And it seemed like everyone was wearing the same thing, but no one looked alike. It was all very, it was the faces of actual people. And I know that's true. Um, but every type of person was there. Everyone was represented and nobody stood apart. There was no one that was separated from this group of people. 
And I knew it was like, I had this revelation knowledge that he loves all of these people equally. And so back into the first environment, that beautiful lavender opal environment that seems to be alive. Um, and in the next moment, it's like I'm pulled into his spirit, like literally pulled inside of him. And this is when I remember looking at my hands and being able to see through myself, being transparent, like those beings were in the beginning of the experience. And I'm looking at myself, Peggy, and I'm realizing, and it's like this understanding that I am more than just the body that I'm, I've been seeing, that there is more than this animated flesh that, that we get to see every day. Um, and yet I saw within him all of these other people, these millions of people that were literally inside his body too, going about their day, doing their regular things and they're inside of him. And it was like, I was so infused with his love during this period of time. I began to feel this compassion for people that were involved in circumstances in my life. It is, it was so, it was like I was seeing how precious and how loved and the potential within us that we're unaware of so often. And had an understanding of things that happened to me in my past and how they were traumatic events that had happened in my life. But it was like, I was seeing for the first time how there was a bigger picture, that there was so much more to those experiences than what I had personally known about. And um, I was just filled with compassion and filled with love for all of these people. Um, I'm, the details, believe it or not, I still remember details. They still come to me periodically. Um, so now I'm, I know that I'm getting to come back at this point, but I'm enjoying this experience. And then um, I'm back out of his being and then boom, that fast back into my body, gasping for breath, gasping and saying, Jesus is real. Oh my gosh, I'm alive. I'm alive. And it's Jesus is real. And the person that I'm with, his face was like, I mean, he went white and, and I began to say, like, ask me some questions, make sure that I'm okay. Um, I knew that I had been without oxygen for a period of time. I know that we aren't supposed to be able to be without blood and oxygen to our brain. So I'm also concerned that I've had some kind of a, a brain damage issue. And, and I didn't, um, he begins to ask me questions and I knew the year, I knew the names of my children, all of those things that he was asking, I could answer. And then in the next moment, this heat came upon me, Peggy, from the inside of me, this incinerating heat began to flow throughout my body it was like it started right here and it just incinerated went outward and I mean I was shaking trembling 
I remember my teeth chattering. I remember being concerned that, yeah, just, I was just very concerned with what was happening. And at that point is when I remember I thought I was speaking English, but I was not speaking English. It was like another language just came out um, that I had never heard that I don't know uh, that I don't, you know, it wasn't anything that I had ever done before. And it was so surreal. I remember at this point, he's my friend, my boyfriend at the time is still staring at me like, what's going on here? What do you think that was? Uh, baptism of fire. Baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. I only knew when I started reading the Bible, what that was and what it meant. And honestly, <laughs> it's the best thing that's ever happened to me, this experience and that following event. Um, so from this night, Peggy, my addiction was taken. Normally when I would try to get clean, I would have weeks and weeks of just trying to get straight, you know, trying to get my head on right, trying to get caught up on sleep. And it didn't happen this time. Um, so much was taken out of me. Um, I also had so much anxiety and depression and fear and self-loathing, all of that was just gone immediately. Um, I had a lot of confusion about my sexuality as well and preferences and things that I was doing and all of those interests just went away, like, like right then. Um, since this event, since this experience, I can honestly tell you that the person I was, the woman that I was that night, she, she's gone. She did die. I'm, I'm similar. I'm the same, but it's, but if, if there is something the father does within us where it turns off our interest in all of the harmful things of the world and turns, so turns that interest off and then turns on, uh, pure passion for him, a pure love for his word and his ways. It happened in that moment, in those moments. Um, loving people is not as easy as I expected it to be. I thought, oh, sure, I can do that. And so in learning how to do that, I have been given so many opportunities to love people in an unlovable state but yet see them as who they're becoming. It's so amazing to me. Um, I, I, after this event, so after this experience, um, about 30 days afterwards, I was let go from my position at work. Um, it, they said, it's just not going to work out. Um, but I, it, it may have had something to do with the fact that I was carrying a Bible to work and, um, <laughs> sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but I just got a visual. Yeah. Like, do with that. Okay. And, um, and wanting to share his love with everyone, everywhere I went, 
because I felt so much relief. I felt so much relief that I had done all of these things. I had lived this very, very twisted, dark version of love for so many years. And yet, because of Jesus, I was allowed to go into this, be right there in front of him in his presence, in the Father's presence. And, um, you know, we could talk all day about the types of things that I was into that were just shady before this experience. Um, and I, I'll call it shady, but really, like I really fell, I fell into this false belief system, this programming that we are taught from in the womb, okay? Um, some of the things that, that I believed were totally acceptable behavior, um, I realized weren't. They're not in alignment with love. They're not in alignment with divine love. Um, this is what's coming to mind right now, but um, I was very pro-choice. I was extremely pro-choice and I bought into that lie, hook, line, and sinker. Um, I, was, I was very one love. I bought into that hook, line, and sinker. So I had girlfriends and boyfriends. I was, I was polyamory. I was into polyamory. And, and I believed that because I wanted love. But what I really wanted was his love and just had never heard it. I had never really heard it talked about this way. Um, I was also thinking of the song, looking for love in all the wrong places. That was me. Okay. <laughs> really? And I mean, I was so promiscuous. It was looking back on it. Now I realized how promiscuous I was and, and, and for him to take me in, in that night, um, begin to really, it's like, there's a story that says the scales fell something like scales fell off of, of Saul's eyes. And that's what happened. It was all of a sudden I had eyes to see ears to hear, and I could see the way that people were being misguided and misled and lied to. And sometimes, you know what, the person that's lying and misguiding is just doing so out of ignorance. Sometimes they don't know better, but you know what, sometimes they actually do and they're doing it on purpose and they have malicious intent. And so it was, um, it was like a giant red pill all at one time. Can you even imagine like finding out all of the things that you believed to be true weren't? Yeah, I went through the same thing after my second one, just looked at everybody differently. Uh, my um, ex now, his drinking wasn't funny anymore. Wow. Um, I could see the, the cycle of abuse. I could see the cycle of addiction in his family. It was just like my eyes was open and seeing everything so differently. Is it because he renews or let me think, let me think, what's the right way to say this? It was like all of my emotions had been purified. So it was no longer all about me and what was best for me and who treated me this way. It was just like, I could see it from the reality and what yeah. they were doing to themselves. Like the, you know, that cycle of abuse. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I started thinking about the effect it would have on my sons in the future Wow. in this environment, how they would treat their wives, girlfriends, how it would affect their life. If they continue to think this was all okay, 
if it was mm-hmm. all all their uncles, it was a big Catholic family, you know, all the uncles and every, it was a part of their life. And, and I just saw it differently. Like, this is serious. This isn't just ha ha. Look, they're falling down drunk. It's this is serious. This will affect yeah. everything in their future. And I didn't want them exposed to it. One of the, I had a recent revelation. I was allowed to go back and visit this person. And, and the revelation that I got was that the way those things keep us in like bondage and we stay stagnant instead of moving forward, instead of growing, instead of becoming or coming into the fullness and reaching our potential. Those things are so distracting. And there's so many of us who die in those distractions, those plots. Um, I mean, I'll just say it like it is like the, the growth that the father has for us is so profound, but unless we're truly diving in and getting into his presence and reading his word, we don't get the fullness of it. We don't, what I call like walk in our identity, walk in our inheritance. And it all is because that original faith that I had as a little girl in Jesus and yeah, um, it comes back, don't it? It it does. It does. I mean, somewhere in me, I had heard that the same power that raised Jesus from the grave, like the same power that resurrected Christ Jesus, lived in me. And in, in those moments when I was experiencing that, I remember thinking, if I could just get in front of the Father, that I could be, I could be granted an opportunity to come back and do what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, I know that sounds really strange, but that's where my mind went. And, and we can call it naivety. We can call, I mean, yeah, we could call it being naive and just believing in blind faith that that's a possibility. Um, the same way I believed all the other things, but this was the truth. This was the thing that lasted. Um, there's actually a scripture that talks about how that everything that we do in our own work in our own strength will be burned away. And I'm so grateful for that because all of those things that I had done in my own strength, that becoming very acquainted with addiction was in my own strength. It got burned away. Now I will tell you, Peggy, it, it, it was, a, it was like I said, layers of healing that, that occurred because after 20 years of drive, dr- let's just say driving the same route to work every day there's some habits that have become ingrained in, in the mind and the, re- the mind has to be renewed by the washing of the water of the word. And so it was a gradual process. I don't want anyone who listens to think it was like perfect. It wasn't, I was messy. So. Did you start telling your experience right away? <laughs> yes. And, um, <laughs> uh, so the first place, of course, I, you know, I told him what happened, uh, the person that I was with. And of course, did you know what reflected. NDE was, did you know, this is NDE. No, I didn't know what it was. I had never heard of it. Uh, well, I had heard, I think I have never heard of NDE, but I had seen a book about a little boy who went to heaven or something. And, and I, I know I had the book. I don't know that I ever finished reading it. Um, you know, cause like I said, I was always seeking and searching and longing for, for more knowledge, just wanting to know like how to live in peace and joy. It's really what I wanted all along. 
What did uh, your boyfriend say? Oh, he d- he he didn't know what to make of it. He um, didn't want to hear about it. And to this day, um, so he broke up with me like pretty shortly after um, because I started carrying a Bible everywhere and started reading it. I wanted to read it to him and I was so excited. And- it doesn't fit into drug culture much, does it? It doesn't. It doesn't. But I did. I did definitely take it all around my little group of of friends that I partied with, and 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 they loved me, but they just weren't ready for the message, and I couldn't force the message on them. But I did try, um, and that was not okay. And I know that. You know, if now you could get Kid it, Rock to sing these verses. <laughs> you know, I thought everyone would be so elated, but it's okay. We can't force a message that someone's not ready to receive. It's about throwing the the seeds out and then where it's supposed to, um, you know, that will be taken care of by the father. It's not actually my job to grow the seed into a plant. And that's the part that, you know, the training that he had to begin to show me. And because I was so over, I was so zealous when, when this, you know, happened, as you can imagine. And, um, so yeah, and family kind of reacted the same. If you're curious, um, they were like, what is she talking about? She's gone crazy. And it, and it's, there is a process of reintegrating that, that has to take place after you've actually been outside of this realm, outside of time and space. My mother said, Peg, you can get on medication for that. That'll go away. (laughs) Because I don't want to get on medication for that. No. And, and, you know, I, I think that's probably what people wanted to say to me, but they really didn't. They just kind of you know, looked at each other. And, and so for a period of time, I was just set up, I was just separated, you know, um, and learned and absorbed and had some very intimate, beautiful experiences uh, and continue to have those. I love to pray now where the only time I prayed before this experience was when I was in a pickle. Are you having experiences while you pray now? Mm-hmm. What's that yeah. like? Beautiful. So beautiful. Um, it's written that, you know, now no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived of the wonderful things that God has planned for those who love him. And it's so true. So true. I admire you that you read the Bible and you understand it and you can remember verses because I I can't, I want to, I just don't understand it. And I don't remember anything I read. And so I admire that. So the way that that happened for me was actually an experience in itself. Um, When I first came back, I've got it right here. So like when I first came back, I didn't know where to start. So I started in the epistles in the very back. Okay. And what I did was I was like, okay, what am I supposed to see here? What's for me? What am I supposed to learn? And I begin like, you can see the marks. Like I do that. And I guess it's wrong. I had somebody tell me it's wrong to write in the Bible. Um, it's, it's probably wrong for you to go write in their Bible. (laughs) Not your own. (laughs) But you know what, what, what I began to do, what happened was, um, the Holy spirit, like I was reading and it was like the words came off of the scripture. 
like the scripture, I'm sorry, the scripture came off of the, the pages of the Bible and like were multi-dimensional. And that's when I, I was told also go look this up in Hebrew. So I started looking. Huh? How do you do that? Professor Google, you can look a lot of things what? up. Well, or DuckDuckGo, if you don't like, you know, Google, if you like other search engines, just look up the meaning of Ephesus in Hebrew. Oh, okay. So I began Googling it and then I began understanding that there was more than what was just here. So it says in the word that Jesus opened their minds to understand the scripture. So it is a process. It's a very, a very special gift he wants to give us because um, as I began to read all of this, I began to understand on a different level. And, and I, and I could say this like um, how this was a book that would take us to freedom once he opens our minds to understand the scripture, that if, if we literally would, would turn to this book, that there would be guidance in here for every day. And I didn't know that. And I would be happy to chat with you more about this offline and pray with you. Okay. Like it, it's been amazing. Now, did you take this story or NDE to churches? I tried. <laughs> How did that go? Um, you know, I've learned a lot. Okay. Um, part of the, it, it was not well received, but I also believe part of the reason it wasn't well received is they didn't know me. They didn't understand me. They did. They had never had a conversation with me outside of me announcing that I had been with the father. So it says that we no longer view others in the flesh, but in the spirit. And so I just had to view them as, as people who are becoming who they're meant to be. And that it's not me that they're rejecting. It's him that they're rejecting and, and possibly the way that I presented it. And the father has to grow us in grace and understanding and wisdom. You know, I was just so elated. Like I said, already, I was so excited. I thought everybody, I was, I was yelling it from the mountaintops from day one. It seems to me like preachers just want to be the only speaker. They don't want, you know, the church doesn't want attention or anything going to anybody else other than, you know, a priest or a preacher. Like they'll, they'll tell us what we need to know. We don't need anybody else. Sometimes. Um, and then sometimes I also, like when I could take a step back and look at it, I was like, okay, there's still a, a purpose to what they're doing. Although our purposes like may have crossed, like our paths may have crossed just for me to share this and move forward. And perhaps it, it opened their mind in some way. Um, but, you know, it, it has a purpose. I mean, I, at first I was real angry. I'll just, I'll just like explain. So I got real mad and real upset, um, real offended, real hurt when it first, when I first started being rejected by the church, but after the first five or six times, and I just realized that's how it's supposed to be for me right now, but it didn't stop me from being obedient and following the unction of the Holy spirit. And that when the time is right, the Lord would make it happen. I wasn't supposed to do anything. So a lot of it has been, you know, um, 
a, a lot of it has been <laughs> really painful um, in different ways, you know, um, and, it, and it wasn't just the churches, but, you know, Jesus said, like, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. So if they didn't recognize him, how can I even expect them to recognize what I'm saying is truth? So where do you go from here? I mean, if, if um, people with addictions don't want to hear it, the church don't want to hear it. I mean, are you looking for some space to, I mean, because you seem like you have a, a need to preach. I do have that need. And so I do it every day, everywhere that I go. Um, you know, when, when someone's shown to me or highlighted to me, I just share the, the experience with them. Um, and I love to pray. That's the other thing I love to do. So preaching and praying, but you know, it, it's just such a beautiful journey that I'm open to wherever it may lead, you know, and, um, I hope that whoever is listening to this, that, that, cause I feel like there's someone who's listening to this, who, who truly knows that this is for them as well. Um, I just want to say, like, if you've been sitting on the fence, you know, um, if you're sitting on the fence, you know, that it's okay to just take that leap over. Don't be scared. You know, don't be afraid. Um, I did a, uh, I called a church for you too, uh, thing I put out on Sundays. A few of us would get together on Saturdays and record it and then put out on Sundays. And I just did like three. There just really wasn't much interest in it. And then the people I had in it were doing other things and just didn't come together. And it just didn't feel right. And I'm like, I guess if somebody wants to go to church, they go to church. You know, they don't want to watch it on a YouTube unless it's some good evangelist. that's really interesting, you know, and trained speaker. But, um, I, you know, but people come to these platforms to hear about near-death experiences and they learn about God's love that way through donor yeah. stories and being real. It's amazing. And, you know, Jesus didn't stay in one place. He moved from city to city to city. And so, you know, <laughs> that kind of makes, I, I, this is what I, I have to say. Like, I can't imagine trying to do something like this and him not being the one that's the driving force. So whenever you don't feel like it's right, um, you know, or that it was just supposed to be those three, you know, it's okay to move on and go to the next thing and the next thing, because, um, it's still, it's still planted seeds and oh, look at that. Um, <laughs> it's a sleeping and, and even if it's years later, you know, and, and a person watches it and then receives from it, it's still beautiful because we can never really understand the magnitude that the father is. I like to say that if, you know, people talk about, we've explored what 10% of the ocean, I bet that's about what we've explored of our father too. It's vast, I mean, deep, wide, high. And um, one of the things that I learned during this experience was how little I truly know, how little the human mind can actually know, not just, you know, um, me, myself, but that each one of us, we, we are capable of, of knowing only so much. And we're meant to be woven together in a tapestry of love, walking in love and walking in the truth. And when we all begin to share our experiences, then we begin to get a glimpse of who he is. And honestly, I don't know of anything that works with addiction other than somebody's incarcerated and they can't use 
and then they get out and then then it's their choice because you know the chemicals went out of their body the you know the addiction to it because it just seems like not what works you're right um <clears throat> so just to speak to that i had a re- i had achieved some clean time in in other fellow in fellowships and i think that's great um it brought me from a place where I couldn't bear the thought of someone speaking to me about God to calling it a higher power. And, and that was still served a purpose, um, but it wasn't a lasting change. It wasn't, I will just tell you, I've shared my experience with people and they've brought me their drug paraphernalia and their drugs to discard for them. I could have never done that just through going through a fellowship. I believe that it takes the power that is the power of God in our being, the Holy Spirit, to completely heal and transform us. We can't do it on our own without him. I tried. I tried so hard. I mean, there's lots of different types of people, but a lot of the people that I knew, we struggled and we talked about getting clean on a regular basis. We wanted, we wanted to get clean. We wanted to live a life that was free of that bondage. And it becomes such a prison, Peggy, that, you know, when you can't leave your house, you can't, you're always just working towards, you know, your level, getting on that level. And, and now it's just healed. I mean, you know, I believe it's just through, I I believe I continue to be healed, continue to be delivered each day as I read, as I pray, as I learn, um, you know, the unction of the Holy Spirit can tell us to do lots of different things, like help others, serve wherever, um, fast as the Holy Spirit leads. All of these different things come into it, but it's a daily, it's a daily walk. I don't think we arrive. I think that one of the things that I kept hearing when I was going to churches, it was, it was like, say a salvation prayer and then boom, you're done. But what I found was it was about coming into agreement. Yes. in prayer. And then beginning a journey, beautiful journey that included everything you've ever been interested of in, but in a purified version of that. Maybe if we had more places like you turn to creativity, and I say that a lot too. find your creative space. You know, mine was, I say, never addiction, but any kind of depression return to that creative space is creative things that I would like to do and just get immersed in and, and takes your mind off things. Like gives you a chance to heal of whatever's going on. Um, which I guess would help too with people that are suffering from addiction to help get them past those urges. Um, you know, then they, you know, churches serve a certain group of people, but not all of us are, just we just don't fit into that i don't fit into that i don't fit into a church congregation i don't care what faith it is i just don't fit i can't sit still i can't (laughs) focus Uh, i have social anxiety i don't like being around all these people i don't like feeling judged i don't like feeling new i don't feel like i don't like any of it i don't like any of it (laughs) it just doesn't fit my personality and so for someone say I'm suffering with addiction I'm just gonna get them go to church and it's gonna be the answer for me it's probably not and so you know where we just I don't know just finding people like you say just on the street anybody you meet just you never know who you're gonna touch or 
and you know and i hope you continue to go on many pod, as many podcasts as you can find to tell your story because you never know when somebody's suffering with addiction and thinking you know that girl could have died she could have not been able to raise her kids and uh, that could have been it for her because it's like yeah. for a lot of people um whether they use it the first time or they're not heavy into it or like you say you're getting back into it a lot again other times you've been out and you've been clean and then you then you this is one of those times you went back and some don't live through it i know i know i've lost friends since this has begun and and it's been it's been a journey i mean i can't even like get into all of it here but it's just been so it's been really painful to see the people that I was hanging around and, and using with. Um, it's just sad to know that they're not here. They didn't, they didn't overcome it while they were here, you know? So, and, and I know that between that and, and people who are struggling with mental health issues, like suicidal thoughts and things like that. So um, yeah, it's just really, it's sad. No. And when I was a drug counselor, um, our role, right, is as believers and mothers, and um, we we just pray, you know, that the addiction would be broken off of him in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that he would be set free by the blood of Jesus, that he would begin to know his identity in Christ Jesus, and and how cherished he truly is by the Father. I mean, when we have a revelation that we are cherished by the creator of all things, it begins to do a supernatural work within us. It's a process, but it begins to happen. Um, and you, know, you, you made an interesting point, the music and the movies. You know, we, we need to have some standard to like what, we, well, I'm older than you, but like what I grew up with is we didn't see this on TV. Right. And we grew up with there's a moral plot at the end. <laughs> yeah. No. And, and we didn't hear. Her. And, you know, all the drinking music I know with my ex, you know, how could I compete with all that drinking music, all about getting drunk and, you know, one bourbon, one scotch, one beer? You know, I like that song too, but it doesn't make me want to go out and get a bourbon, a scotch, and a beer. It's just a really fun song. But to, uh, for people that have addictions, I mean, they really. You know, they want to keep that that identity going of that rebel, um, that cool person. But the thing is, is I see people my age all the time in the newspaper getting busted for drugs. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, you're supposed to be a grandparent. You're supposed to be taking your grandson fishing and your granddaughter to Girl Scouts and, you know, doing these things. And, and they're doing this teenage crap that we were all doing back in the 70s. And, it, and it's irritating to me. It feels like they never grew up. <laughs> there was definitely, um, there is definitely in most people who are in active addiction. And let me just preface this by saying it's not just drugs, it's sex, it's gambling, it's shopping, it's you insert it. There's typically a wound that came in around three or four years of age, changed us in a dramatic way, wounded us, and then we began to live our life from that place subconsciously. Um, 
in the studies that I've done and looking into my own death experience, what the Holy Spirit has taught me is that um, that is usually when the enemy comes in and does something, you know, your son was removed. And so now it's a generational thing that's followed him into this. And he can, he can choose to be the one who, who breaks that line, you know, um, it, it just, the father's a gentleman. He's not going to force anything on anyone. He's not going to, he's not going to rip somebody out of an environment. He's going to put it in their heart and begin to very softly convict them that their life should be different, that, that there's something better, that he has something more in mind for them. Um, but he, even with me, even after my experience, he didn't make it impossible for me to go back to the same vomit, right? Like, like a dog returning to its vomit. I mean, he allowed me that opportunity so that I could go, Oh my gosh, why would I do this? Why would I even think this was for me anymore? But it takes what it takes for each one of us. And, um, I mean, we have these two beautiful grandchildren that scream and bawl. They don't want to go home every time we have them. We don't know what's going on at the house, you know, mm. screaming. And they know it. They come out to get them. And they're kicking and, and they're, you know, kind of embarrassed. They oh, just because, you know, we never go anywhere. You guys take them to them stuff. Like, no, we're just hanging out in the living room. But there, there's so many kids that are going through absolute hell and are at risk because the parents are too high to know that they're at risk or what they're going through. Um, two of our adopted daughters got on heroin after they turned 18, left our house and they went to their biological parents and they showed them how to use heroin and all this other stuff and how to steal and break in homes and crap. And, um, they got their kids taken away permanently. It's very pervasive. It's a very, very, very pervasive condition. Um, of course, like you know, said, we had all the dealings with that before they yeah. got them taken away permanently. All the, all the calling, call I need help and running and getting them out of this abusive situation, getting them in a shelter, getting them that, get, you know, we did all, all that before that ended up happening to them. But, but yeah, it's, it's cool. It's cool. I mean, oh, listen to your music and think you're, you know, teenager, get your tattoos and get your piercings. And, um, and then the kids are like, just like children are just not, not even on the radar. I mean, every, every the first of the month before them girls lost their kids or the first of the month, I would see, oh, I got this new piercing. Oh, I got this new tattoo. Oh, we're going out to eat. Oh, we're buying new stuff. And then a week later, I need money for this, for the kids. And then, yeah. and then, and then the boyfriend's going to prison. And then now one of them's ex-boyfriend, mother, the dad of the kids, he's in prison, or he's going to go to prison for murder. And gosh, I mean, we live in a really safe neighborhood. So we're sheltered from a lot of this stuff, but it's starting to, even come in our communities. And, and again, I mean, I mean, we're, we're looking for we... answers for a problem bigger than you and I. I mean, I know that, but yeah. But I know it sucks because um, there's a very, you know, tangible 
reality here that it's pervasive, it's perverse. It's, you know, looking back on it now from the other side, I realized how serious the situations were. But when you're in it, you don't see it that way because your eyes are so, you become spiritually dull, like the scriptures say. I mean, you literally become dull and you can't see things for what they are. So we just pray that the scales would fall from their eyes. Go. Yeah. And then, you know, this fentanyl, I mean, my gosh, so many people are dying. And so fentanyl, if you start to do research, uh, if you start to do research, uh, you can find out where a lot of that's coming into the U.S. say from. Um, you can see where a lot of it is manufactured. Why do you take it? I mean, they know all these fentanyl deaths. It's all in the newspaper. But they take it, though. So, like I said, it's a spiritual dullness where it won't happen to me. It will be someone else. It, it, this person did it the wrong way and this person did too much, but I'm going to do it. It's just, it's just a false reality because our minds become so penetrated and so you know dirty I guess is the best way because I mean really I I was all the things you're talking about you know I was oblivious to so many things um it's been amazing to like I mean heart-wrenching as well to say oh my gosh yeah I would have done those things I mean and and I would have thought I would have been justified or been okay to do them um, but that's what happens. That's what we're, what we're talking about is a stronghold, you know, in, in it, it's all scriptural, what we're talking about, you know, but when we begin experimenting with drugs and, you know, it gets a foothold and then when it becomes part of our normally de- normal daily process, then it's a stronghold. It's part of our thinking process in a way that a person who hasn't been in addiction won't understand. Thankfully, Thankfully, you haven't, right? Thankfully, you didn't learn it this way, or you may not have been there for all of these children um, as they were growing up. But you, I'm sure, you know, it's just train up a child in the way that they should go. And, and when they're older, that they won't depart from it. So there will become a time where the child comes back, just like I said, I did, you know, um, just like how I was saying, somehow I believe that this, I believe, you know, there were still some things in my core that I had heard was exposed to and believed in. And that was being raised in a pretty secular family. Um, but, but I came back to it, you know, and it takes what it takes for each one of us, you know, the, the trajectory kept me from taking that road is in school. When I was a kid, there was people come to our health class and told us the dangers of these things and I listened I took it to heart and so yeah I tried pot eventually you know after people tried to get me for a long time I wouldn't and if I did I and I really did like pot but when people offered me other things uh-uh I heard about that in health class you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay so that same thing that was in you that said I would never do that when I heard that stuff in health class I thought they're just exaggerating there was a part of me who wanted to live um, like no stone unturned, no wine and taste it. I wanted to try all of those different things. I wanted to go 
down the hallucinogenic hallucinogenic route. I wanted to explore those things. There was that curiosity in me that just wanted to feel those different things from a very early age. So it's just, you know, we're all so vastly different, but the one thing, the one, the, you know, who has all the answers, who understands all the different, you know, methodology, methodologies that will help someone who knows like what each person needs and craves in their heart, the father, the father. You know, I just wonder if they would do more of this scared straight stuff with kids in junior high before they get in high school and really think or start doing those things is to scare them more, you know, take them to a hospital where people were hooked up to machines because they, you know, drug overdoses or, um, you know, prisons where now look what me, I'm here forever because of whatever, or, you know, the drunk drivers, you know, the people cause accidents and their lives are ruined because those stories affected me big time. I guess they, you know, maybe they wouldn't you, but they did me. I mean, that I really, I mean, we didn't get all that, hear all those things, but just the little bit I did get was like really impacted me. Even in college, just out of high school, 10 years, and we had some speakers uh, uh, that were in prison a real long time because they were drunk and they had an accident and it killed somebody. And I would just, like, I couldn't sleep at night for a while. Like, oh my gosh, you know, what if, what if, what if? And it really affected me. Where other people were like, ah, it won't happen to me. And it seems like there might be too. Are you there? Yeah, I don't know what happened there. Might be two kinds of people because my son and, and the other two girls that was in addictions, they were those personalities that oh, I can get by with anything. And I was always the type, if I do something one time, I'll be the one to get caught. Not the one that gets by with it all the time because I, I was, I just had that mindset. Oh, I could never do anything. I would get caught. And so maybe it's just, you know, there's two type personalities of, of risk takers. Yeah. He created us all uniquely, you know, um, but not so that we could be divided so that we could all be, be reflected as facets of him. Um, I have a daughter who is 22, who's amazing. And she is more like that thinking process where huh, I saw what happened to my parents. I'm not doing anything like that. And she's a remarkable young woman. Um, but I believe that we all have a wilderness. We all have something that we have to be brought out of um, some kind of Egypt or, or Babylon that we have to be brought out of um, and matured from because it's you all about we all maturity. have our own cross to bear. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it says that um, that Christ is going to be fully formed in us. And so when that happens, we won't want drugs. We won't want alcohol. We won't yeah. want all of these little temporary fixes when we experience the fullness of Christ, we will no longer desire those. Hallelujah. So, yeah, I just I know think we should be doing more in the schools. Like, you know, you're going to have a lot of crosses to bear. Don't pick up this one. <laughs> it will ruin this and this and this and this. I mean, you know, in, in, when I was in school, um, I remember those programs and things like that. And, um, I think ultimately hmm, I'll say this. Really, it's, how do I, I'm trying to think how to phrase something. 
even though it seems like there's two different types of personalities, I guess that it would be unlimited types of personalities because certain things I was real cautious about. Like if it says no parking, I won't park there. If it says uh, honor system and it's 50 cents, I got to put that 50 cents in. Like we're all so different. There's different areas that, that need healing in all of us. So I think ultimately what we're talking about, Peggy, is if we get down to it, the area in me that needed healing when I said, oh, it won't happen to me, it was already healed within you. However, like none of us are, have reached the fullness yet. None of us have. You know, I believe uh, that Jesus was born with the fullness and because he didn't sin, like it, he was able to say no to temptation where some of us are just easily tempted with these things. Um, and they make us so um, prone to other things because it's not, if you're doing drugs, chances are you're also doing other things in alignment. So then it just is a columnative effect. But yeah. Yeah, the ones that were doing drugs were stealing too. A lot of times, a lot of times. I mean, we could get down to like, I guess. Um, and sleeping around, cheating on her spouses, boyfriend, boyfriend, girlfriends. Just seems like they couldn't do enough bad. There wasn't enough bad to go around. You know, it just seemed like. They were just high on bad. Anything that was bad. That's, I mean, I remember when I was a bad kid and that becomes your identity. I'm bad. That means I'm cool. That means I'm going to do everything bad. I remember being like that. But I mean, when that stick turned, whatever, blue or whatever you call it, uh, it, the brakes come on and my whole world changed. But that was me. That's what it took for me. You know, for other people, you know, I don't know. That's beautiful. I'm grateful that that was enough to bring you back to your senses. Because I had friends that had babies and they were still running around. Their parents was taking care of their kids. Well, I knew I wouldn't leave my kids with my parents. They were really bad home. It was all on me. It was all going to be on me. And the buck stopped here. And I did not want to mess this up. I felt like I messed up too much already. And so I don't know. I don't know. But we can, we can talk all day. We can't fix nobody. You know, all we can do is, you know, take, take our own path and deal with consequences. So. His love is, is the most powerful thing that we could ever imagine. And it's his love that has healed me, Peggy, and brought me to where I am. Knowing that he loved me, knowing that I was in the presence, when this, when, when the Bible scared me, cause it said something, it was his love that I remembered when, when I thought that I wanted to go back and do some of those things, I knew that nothing compared to his love. And so honestly, that's how I love others is, is just by sharing his love, the story of that love. Um, when we're at that crossroads, just know that nothing can compare to the way that he loves you. No fleeting temporal um, pleasure is going to give you what the father has in store for you, what he's already set aside for you, what belongs to you through the sacrifice of Jesus. Um, ultimately love, love wins. And it's, it's, it's already won. It's a process to getting there. And you were like given another chance. I mean, because you were dead, dead and you got to come back and raise your kids and you got to change and you got to become who you are now. And yes. there's so many that just aren't given that. 
And so many more that won't be given that. There's, you know, in today, for example, people dying right and left, I'm sure everywhere as we speak from drug overdose, you know, alcohol, violence, you know, even the violence that it brings out. So. I know. But anyhow, I don't know if we need anybody good. All we can do is try, right? We're just talking and exploring an issue and, and hoping somebody gets something out of it. And I wish you all the luck in the world. Thank you. Bye-bye.